listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So let's address the obvious first. Yes, I have a tie on. But it's Mother's Day. And my wife gets a tie on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to the beautiful mother of our three boys. Happy Mother's Day to my mom as well. And I hope uh, all of you mothers out there enjoy a special day. Another quick shout out to, uh, to one of our, our little guys, Arthur Napier. His mom and dad says for weeks he waves at me on Sunday morning and I don't wave back because this is not like Zoom. I can't see him even though he can see me. But today, Arthur, I want to see you and wave back to you. And I hope uh, we get to be back together with all our little ones, all our little guys. I've missed them. It's been eight weeks since we've been able to be together as a family. So we're looking forward to, uh, to being back together, even if it is in a limited fashion. Just watch your email and uh, get the communication on our plans for that. So we're in Acts chapter number three today. And so Paul is bringing to a close these instructions on who we are in Christ. As he's talking about all of the blessings that we have as followers of Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, all that God has provided for us and all that we have by faith in Jesus. He's bringing this to a conclusion. And chapter number three is, is basically a, a concluding prayer before he gets into chapter number four and starts with, okay, now based on everything you've learned, here's what you need to do. So if we've been looking at our life in Christ, then he's going to move in chapter number four to Christ's life in us as we begin to put that to work. And so he's bringing it to a conclusion and chapter three is, is, is basically a prayer with a big parentheses in the middle of it. Let, let me jump to it and, and show you what I mean. Ephesians chapter number three, uh, verse number one says, for this reason, for what reason, Paul? Well, for the reason of everything that I've been saying to you, for, for everything that I've said specifically uh, in chapter number two, talking about us being dead, but brought to life and brought into the family. And then in, uh, in the latter part of chapter two, how that we were two groups and now that we're one uh, built into one dwelling for for God here uh, amongst us, like a like a human temple, if you will, being built together for this reason. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then if you jump to verse number 14, he kind of picks up that same phrase. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so basically chapter 3, verse number 1 and verse number 14 through 21 represent this prayer that Paul is going to pray on behalf of the Ephesian believers. Verses number 2 through 13 are a parenthesis. It's like a little aside. Before I get into the prayer, I want to make these statements and I think it has to do with the fact of what Paul said, that he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he kind of talks about, I think, 
why he's imprisoned or, or the basis of his imprisonment. Well, in order to do that, I want to draw your attention back uh, to, to a little of what's written in the book of Acts. And it starts in chapter number 21. We pick up the story in, in Acts chapter 21. I'll just kind of give you a brief idea. Paul has been on three missionary journeys. Uh, he's taken the gospel all throughout Asia Minor. He's crossed over into Europe and he's taken the gospel all over the place. And in his, in this time frame of history, the Christians in Jerusalem have gone through a time of great suffering and they are, they are uh, in need of financial support. And so as Paul is going along on his journeys, he's been taking up a collection for the believers in Jerusalem. And so he plans to go back to Jerusalem and give this money or present it to the apostles there so that they can uh, be a help. The, the churches all around can be a help to those uh, who are there in Jerusalem. And, uh, and all of those that worked around Paul encouraged him not to go. I said, Paul, you really need to stay away from Jerusalem because your whole ministry has stirred up such a hornet's nest with the Jews that you've, you've seen and, and experienced what they've done to you and, 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 and on behalf of you on your journeys. You cannot go back to their hotbed. You cannot go there because if you go there, they're going to kill you. You've, you've stirred up so much animosity there. You just can't go. Paul's like, nope, God's told me to go and, uh, and I'm going. These folks need to help and, and I got to go back. That's what God told me to do. And so if they kill me, so be it, whatever. And so Paul's gone back to Jerusalem. He's met with the apostles and, and he's met specifically with James, uh, the leader there in the church in Jerusalem. And James is like, Paul, you really need to watch your step here, man. You, you have stirred it up here uh, with these folks. And once they hear that you're in town, um, you, you could really be in a lot of trouble. So you better make sure you do everything right according to the law, according to their expectations, or they're just going to have a reason to, uh, to, to take matters into their own hands. Paul's like, okay, I, that's, that's not a problem. I can do that. Chapter 21 of the book of Acts. In verse number 27, it says that they came and uh, that after seven days, they came and stirred up a crowd because of Paul. Here's what they did. They had seen Paul in the company of a fellow by the name of Tromephius. And Acts tells us that Tromephius was a, an Ephesian. So he was one of the folks that had come to know Christ, apparently, in Ephesus. Well, he was a Gentile. And it says that they presumed that Paul had brought this Gentile into the temple. Remember us talking about how the Gentiles had their little court that they could be in. It's like, remember, y'all can stay here in the gift shop, but you can't go into the temple proper. And there was a big wall that separated them that brought about the whole thing that we talked about last week, Christ breaking down the dividing wall. These Jews said, I saw Paul with, with this fellow by the name of Tremephius. He's a Greek. He's an Ephesian. And I bet he brought him in the temple where he shouldn't. And so they took Paul and they did kind of like a, a, a citizen's arrest, a, a, a mob justice type thing. And they were beating him up. And the Roman soldiers saw this commotion going on, came over, tried to break it up. The, po the folks were so loud that they couldn't hear what was going on. They said, look, just take that guy and bring him back to the barracks. We'll try to sort this whole thing out. When they get back, they find out that Paul is not who they thought he was. The Romans thought that Paul was this Egyptian who had earlier stirred up a bunch of trouble. And Paul's like, no, 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 I'm a Jew, but I'm also from, uh, from, uh, from Tarsus in, in Cilicia. I'm, 
I'm a Roman Jew. And I'm here and, and they're all upset with me and they're like, oh, wow, okay, so we got to figure out how to deal with this guy. Because not, not only is he not who we thought he was, but he's a, he's a Roman, but these folks are really upset with him. So we, we got to be real careful about this. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Jews were intending to, uh, to take him and to kill him when they transported him from one place to the other. But, but as they were doing that, they, they saw all these Jews out there waiting. And Paul's like, hey, guys, can I just address them real quick? And so the Roman soldiers gave him a little bit of a latitude and said, okay, we'll see kind of how this goes. And so Paul begins to, to speak to them in Hebrew. You find this in Acts chapter number 22. So Paul's a, he's a prisoner, not because of any crime he's committed as far as the Romans are concerned, but just for his own protection, he's just kind of there. And they recognize that, that these folks are upset with him. And so Paul says, look, can, can I just kind of explain myself? And he begins to speak in Hebrew and he starts recounting his life story or, or the major parts of his life story. He's like, hey, I, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. And, and I had letters from the, from the priest to go and stomp out the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. He was stomping out the church or he's trying to, 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 to put out the fires of the early, early church. He says, and as I'm on my way to Damascus to do what I'd been given authority to do, I came into direct contact with the risen Jesus. I mean, he met me on the road to Damascus. He revealed himself, bright light, knocks me down. I'm blinded. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I hear this voice from heaven and it's Jesus, the one who was raised. And, 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 and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, I want you to go to that town and I want you to wait and somebody, somebody's going to come and help you receive your sight and they'll tell you what I want you to do. And, and so I did. And this fellow shows up. His name was Ananias and, and, and I received my sight. And, and, and then he tells me that God wants to use me. And he goes on in, in chapter number 22, verse Acts. He said, and when I had returned to Jerusalem, I was in the temple praying. And I was praying, Lord, I know that you've called me and I know that you've given me this mission to do and, and, and that I'm supposed to represent Jesus and I'm supposed to tell the folks that I was previously trying to stomp out and, and, and quite frankly, I didn't care if we killed them all. I'm supposed to now be a representative of that message. How is that going to work? Lord, they're never going to believe me. And the people are listening to him. They're giving him an audience. They're, they're probably taking it with a grain of salt. But they're listening to this point. And he, he says, and, 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 and I'm wondering how it is that they're going to receive me. Verse number 21. And he said to me, this is talking about how God said to him, as Paul's praying, I'm in the temple and I'm asking God what he wants me to do and how's this going to work. Then God said to me, verse 21 of chapter 22 of Acts. Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse number 22. Up to this point, they, talking about the Jews that were waiting to, to probably try to nab Paul on his way from one place to another and go ahead and finish what they had started. Up to this word, they had listened to him. But when he said that God had sent him to the Gentiles... Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from earth. Not just get him out of my sight. Get him off the planet. For he should not be allowed to live. And I mean, they got stirred up and the crowd was in such a frenzy. 
that the soldier says, we've got to get him out of the city. And so they began to move him about. Ultimately, they took him uh, to Caesarea, where the Roman governor kept his home. And, and, and they said, we can, we can guarantee his safety there, but we got to get him out of Jerusalem. We don't know what this dude has done. We got to sort this thing out. But they knew this, the rulers of the people of Israel were done with Paul. They wanted him dead. And so that's where Paul got transported to Caesarea. That's where he had an audience before Felix and, and before Agrippa. And they didn't know what to do with him. And he ultimately said, look, just let me go plead my case to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. I'll deal with Caesar. And they transported him according to his, uh, his, his uh, desire. They transport him to Rome where now he's under house arrest in Rome waiting for an opportunity to present his case to the emperor to hopefully be freed. And so the emperor would say, why, why are you even here? Get out of here. Go, go do something somewhere else. That's what I think he was expecting. But he's in house arrest and he's writing these letters. He wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He wrote the letter to the Philippians. He wrote the letter to the Colossian believers. And he wrote a personal letter to a gentleman by the name of Philemon while he's under house arrest. So when Paul says, I, Paul, for this reason, because we are one in Christ, Jew, Gentile, there's no more me and you, it's now us. Because of, of you Gentiles, I'm now a prisoner. They thought that I was preaching against God. And actually, I was doing just the opposite. I was presenting the message God told me to present. But it really all is about the relationship that I have with you Gentiles that has me in prison. If it weren't, if it weren't for you, I probably wouldn't be here. But... I think he's thinking ahead and, and, and thinking they probably think that as well. If it weren't for us, Paul wouldn't be in prison. If it weren't for the fact that he's going around preaching Jesus to us, he'd probably be able to be preaching the gospel and be freed from his incarceration. So I think Paul takes this little aside before he gets into the prayer to help them understand that it's not their fault that he's in prison. And so let's jump right in here to the text, verse number two, following, following that intro. On behalf of you Gentiles, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming, of course, verse number two, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written or written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has been revealed to his holy prophets and apostles by the Spirit. So Paul is saying, I'm in prison on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, I'm assuming, especially you new believers that, that have come to know Christ since I left Ephesus, I'm, I'm assuming that they've told you about the stewardship, about the position that God gave me by His grace. He, he imparted to me a message that I was to be responsible for. It's a stewardship. It's, it's not something I applied for. This is not uh, something that I ascended to. God says, here, I'm by my grace, 
going to give you a portion of my grace to spread out to a specific group of people, specifically the Gentiles. And he says, I've, I've got this stewardship. And I'm assuming that you already know this, that, 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 that the message of the gospel to the Gentiles is something God gave me to do. And, and, it's, a, and it's a message that is, was wrapped up in mystery. For generations in the past, God had kept this thing hidden from all of those who had one thing that they were expecting, but it, but it actually was something completely different. And God intentionally kept it hidden until Christ came and has now become the means by which all men, regardless of their race, creed, heritage, no matter what their last name, through Christ is how all men and women come into relationship with God. And so now God has revealed this mystery that had been hidden. What is this mystery? Verse number six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's a little idea of what the Jews expected. Through their understanding, the the conclusion that they came to from what all God had said about Messiah and his purpose and his intention was this. Messiah was going to come as a major military leader or he would have at his disposal some measure of great power. And with that power, he was going to overthrow those nations or any peoples that were holding Israel in oppression. And he was going to elevate them to the, to the prominence that they, that they had. He was going to make Israel great again, so to speak. He was going to bring them back to the top of the mountain. He was going to sit on his throne. And then all of the Gentile nations would come on hands and knees, groveling for the mercy of Messiah and hoping he wouldn't just wipe them out through destruction. And the Israelites would be able to watch along as Messiah lorded it over all of these Gentile dog nations that were finally going to bow the knee to him. That was their expectation. Their expectation was that they were going to be raised and that everybody else would have to beg for mercy. And Paul's like, that's not at all what God intended. He kept this thing hidden and in Christ we don't have a great military leader. We don't have a great, uh, a great raising of the people of Israel. What we have is the sacrificial lamb dying in our place and for our sin. And not only the sin of his people, but the sin of the world. And God has revealed what has been hidden from generations past. And that is that salvation is for all. And those who by faith trust Jesus as Savior are brought into right relationship with God. And everyone has the same kind of seat at the table. That's the mystery that's been revealed. And that's the mystery that God has given to me to go around proclaiming. And that's actually the the, the true ministry of the gospel is that, that we're all heirs and joint heirs with Jesus by faith. We're brought from death to light. We're brought from, from, to life, from darkness into life. We're brought out of the enemy campaign into the household family of God by new birth and by adoption. We're His. And now we have access to the same promises 
through Christ and His work for us. So Paul says, this mystery that's been revealed, it's what I've been given to proclaim. And it's a thing that I'm passionate about, and, and I'm in prison because of this. But it's, it's not your fault. This, this was God's will. This was His ministry given to me. We move on to verse number 7. He talks about this ministry of this gospel, of this mystery that, that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners and that all come to faith in, come to, come to, to God by faith in Him. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And He says in verse number seven, or verse number eight, to me, I was given to me who is the least of all the saints. Are you kidding me? I was made a minister. God picked me. Terrorist enemy number one of the church to be the one taking the gospel to the Gentiles. How in the world is this? I mean, this is crazy. I was made a minister. I'm, I'm happy to be that. I, I'm, I'm happy in the role that God has given me. But, but, but God is the one who did this. This is not your fault. Yes, I'm in prison on behalf of you who have received the gospel and of everyone as the Jews hate this notion. And they're willing to kill me for it. And it's got me in prison. And now I'm having to wait to explain this to Caesar. And he probably ain't going to understand even a word that I'm saying. But you know what? This is all God's doing. He's the one who made me a minister. He's the one who put this gospel in my, in my mouth to communicate to you. And I'm the very least of all the saints. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 15, verse number 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles and I'm actually unworthy to be called an apostle. Man, I was persecuting the church. How is it that God wants to use me? And he says, I've got this ministry, but it's a ministry given to me by a gift of God's grace. Even though I'm the least of the saints, this gift was given me, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, verse number eight, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Man, God has turned me loose to preach and proclaim all that is theirs through Christ. He started out this whole letter talking about all the spiritual blessings that are ours kept in the heavenly places to be accessed, to accomplish everything that God has called us to do and to be. He's provided all of that and it is ours. And Paul's like, I, I've been given this opportunity to go and proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles, to the ones we thought God hated. This is crazy. But it's a ministry that I am compelled to. It's a message that I have got to proclaim. I think about when he went to the, to the people there in the city of Corinth and he wrote back to them and he said, you know, if, if I would have shown up to you guys and preached with these great, amazing speeches that confounded the masses, and Paul could have, he was a highly educated individual. He said, if I would have shown up and I would have, and I would have proclaimed that kind of message, you guys would have fell in love with me and fawned over me and wanted my autograph and, and wanted everything to, to be around me, but I didn't do that. You see, when I came to you, I was determined to do one thing, not impress you, but to present to you one message, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm all for communicating God's Word into the, into the relevant issues of our life. I'm all for it. 
But unfortunately, there are too many churches that are proclaiming uh, messages and series that that anyone could come in and receive self-help information about how to have a good marriage or how to be a, a, a good business person. And it's all biblical truth, but in so many of them, I never hear it connected to who we are in Christ. And Paul's even going to do some, some teaching here in a minute. He's going to call us to some things that are very practical for living everyday life. But if it's not connected to who we are in Christ, it's just another motivational speech. Paul says, I've been compelled to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus and then how that is to be lived out by faith, not in our own strength. And verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is not just the Gentiles, it's for everybody. I've been given the green light to turn the light on for anyone to know what God has done for us through Christ. When Paul would go to a city, he would first go to the synagogues. And he would preach Christ to those that were, that were anticipating a Messiah who had the background, who should have been open to this teaching. And then he would move out and beyond and begin to preach out to the Gentiles, anyone who would listen. Because I'm supposed to be turning the light on for everybody, but yes, specifically the Gentiles, so that they all might know this mystery that's been hidden in God throughout the ages. And verse number 10, and this is bonus, I think. And so that, verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places. Paul says, not only am I to go out preaching this gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus to the Jew and the Gentile, but as those two come together on the same basis for the, through, the, through the same instrument of faith in one person, Jesus, as those two groups start coming together and are made into one body and are coming according to the purpose and plan of God, the heavenly beings, the angels, the demonic realm are going to be watching this. And I think what Paul is saying is they're coming to understand. And I think they're looking at one another going, did you know he was going to do this? No, I had no idea. I thought he hated it. I can't believe I even imagine the demons are probably going, are you kidding me? We, we put all this planning and work to, to, kill, to kill the Son of God, and you're telling me that that's what's bringing his purpose together. Are you kidding? I was like, isn't it awesome? And it was all hidden, and now God's revealing it. Think about these couples that, that, are, uh, uh, that are expecting. And, and you used to just go to the doctor and have the, the, the sonogram, the ultrasound, and the doctor say, it's, it's a boy, it's a girl. And then you go back and you tell everybody, it's a boy, it's a girl. And we say, Not anymore. Now we have gender reveal parties. And the couple takes that information and gives it to a, a, a third uh, non-connected party. And then they go and make a cake with, with certain food coloring, pink or blue. So they cut in the cake, they'll see. Or they fill the balloons full of smoke, uh, some kind of powder. So that when it pops, it's blue or it's pink. Is it a boy or is it a girl? It's hidden from us, but they know 
what the gender is of the baby. And then we all get together and everybody's gathered around. They're like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Pop. And it's green. Uh, No, it's not green. But it pops out and it's, oh, it's a boy. It's revealed. It's been hidden from us, but not from them. God says, this whole thing God had under the vest and now he's revealed it and I learned it because he revealed it. I'm sharing it and I'm excited about bringing everybody together. They're mad and I'm in prison. But as you guys are being built into one body, the heavenly realms are understanding. It's awesome. I can't believe I get to be a part of this. Verse number 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all been a part of God's plan. But yes, I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus on on your behalf, Gentiles. But I want you to understand, that ain't your fault. This is just the way it's working out. And and the beat goes on. think Think about all the millions of people who have come to Christ through God's words as Paul wrote in prison where he didn't want to be. Suffering what he didn't want to suffer, but being willing to be okay with it because it's what, had, it's what God had called him to. This is according to the purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Gentiles, look, we have boldness. We have confident access through Christ. It's not about you sitting at the back of the room. You just barely got in. no. The table is set and we all gather together. I I love what we do at the end of uh, middle school basketball games. We get the two teams that have competed against one another and elbowed, knocked one another down. At the end of the game, it doesn't matter who won on the scoreboard. We get the two coaches together and we get the team to spread in a circle around the center of the court. And one of the things we always tell them is, no, look, it needs to be uh, uh, white jersey, black jersey, white jersey, black, or whatever the colors are. Don't, ju- don't, just, don't just congregate as one team connected. No, spread out because what we're going to do here, we're going we're gonna to thank God for the safety of the game the opportunity to compete and wanting him to be glorified in us. And we want to be interspersed so that we're all one. We're not two teams anymore. We're just one group of basketball players wanting to honor our Lord. I I think that's what he says. No, look, we all have bold access, confident access. We're, We're not two groups anymore. We're all God's children. And that's the way God wants it to be. So I ask you, verse number 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, because we are, because we are one in Christ, because of all that we have, have been given, because of all that we have by faith in Jesus, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, For Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, bow my knee and I ask God, and we'll talk about what he asked God next week. But on behalf of you Gentiles, and and, and just so you're clear, I'm assuming that you know that, that, that I'm a prisoner because of the opportunity God's given me, because of the gift of, of stewardship He's given me, because of the message that I've got to communicate. And it's an awesome message that's bringing two into one and it's informing everybody who's watching. And I just don't want you to lose heart because of what I'm suffering. Because it's for your glory. See, I think Paul knew that these people would probably go through suffering of their own. 
And he's going to talk a little bit about that into the future, especially as he talks about what, as he, as he, as he shares with them what his prayer is for them. I think Paul knows that suffering is most likely on the way for the Ephesian believers. And he's like, I just don't want you to lose heart. Yes, I'm going through suffering and pain, but it's all a part of God's plan. Like God's not wringing his hands going, how am I going to get him out of this? I never into, uh-uh. God knows exactly what he's doing. And even though suffering and pain might not be what God desires for his creation, through suffering, we get to reflect the character of Jesus. I think what, uh, what Paul says in Romans 8.18 is fitting. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. If we have to suffer now, that's okay. Jesus suffered. And it brought about glory. And I want to be able to identify with him so that I'm suffering like Jesus to bring glory to his name, to bring encouragement to you Gentiles so that you might know that there's no reason to lose heart. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep sharing. Keep revealing. Keep coming together. Quit dividing. Don't let this divide you. Keep building. Keep going forward with the mission that we have through Christ. So he shares about this mystery. He shares about his ministry. He shares about his suffering to encourage them. And I thought about a few takeaways that we would, that we would leave with today. And I want to share those with you. There's five of them. As we think about what Paul has shared and, and the place that Paul is and the excitement that he is, that he is uh, revealing about the opportunities that's been given to him, I, I want to ask some things or, or, or bring some things to your attention. Takeaway number one, some things in God's word, some things in the way that God has, it has and is operating are going to remain mysterious. He, he kept this mystery hidden for generations until his time to reveal. And there are some things that, that we just simply don't understand how it works. We don't have it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. And that's okay. Because we've not been called to figure it out. We've been called to, to embrace what God has revealed. Appropriately wrestle with it. As we walk in faith in Him. There's some things that, uh, that just have us confounded. W- one of those we've already identified just in this study. How, how does God's sovereignty and His choosing, how, how does that predestination and election thing, how does that work within the same realm where He's told us that humans have a will of their own and they're free to choose and they're responsible for their choices? How does How does God's sovereignty and human free will work together? It's mysterious. You don't have it all figured out. If you do, you've probably elevated one over the other. And that's not how it works. So how does it work? I don't know. It's a mystery that God has hidden. I'm hoping that someday we'll understand how that works together. But even if we don't, we still trust Him. Because Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds the Israelites early on that the secret things, 
The things we don't understand, those belong to God. He's got that under control. He, he doesn't need our help, and He's not compelled to tell us how everything works. But the things that have been revealed, well, they're for us, and they're to be acted upon. So keep in mind, just like the mystery of the gospel was kept hidden for generations, some things are going to remain mysterious. And it's okay that you don't have it figured out. Keep following by faith. Keep wrestling appropriately. Keep stretching yourself as you study and seek to learn, but understand some things you're never going to get. Takeaway number two. Unity in the church is a really, really big deal to God. He's already talked about the two being one, how we're being fit together. It's no longer you and me, it's us. And he's going to talk about unity right off the bat in chapter number four when we, begin, when we begin hearing how the life of Christ needs to be lived out in us. And one of the biggest ways that we demonstrate that is in our unity together with those that have by faith trusted Jesus. Looking beyond color, creed, age, gender, looking beyond. Maybe looking beyond is a bad way of saying it. Embracing and celebrating color and creed and ethnicity and gender and age. And being unified because of what we are together in Christ. It's a really, really big deal. Unity is. Is it a really, really big deal to you. It might as well be because we're going to be talking about it throughout the remainder of this study and until the end and when Christ returns because unity in the body is, um, well, it's non-negotiable. It's a really, really big deal. Takeaway number three. If Paul is the least of us, if he truly is the least of the saints, then none of us have any excuse whatsoever not to be serving the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So many Christians are, are saved by grace and then paralyzed in the seat of non-activity, not using their gifts, not serving their Lord, not active in the mission of, of making disciples. If Paul is the least, none of us have any excuse. Or put it this way, no matter what, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter what your past might look like, no matter what you think your inabilities are, no matter what, God wants to use you and will use you if you'll let him. He used Paul. He made him a minister. And, and, and we just learned a couple of weeks back that we've been brought into family so that we might walk in the works that God has preordained for us to do. So God has a ministry for you that has been made for you and you for it. And God wants to use you for his glory. But you have to embrace that. You have to walk in that. You have to let him. Takeaway number four. You don't have to tiptoe around your Abba Father. So many Christians feel like that, that because of what we know about the holiness of God, that we have to tiptoe around him, that we have to cower in fear of him. And Paul says, that's not it at all. He wants you to have bold and confident access where you just step into that warm, loving environment to the home that, that so many of us have enjoyed and all of us desire 
that warmth of family relationship where you can be loud, where you don't have to tiptoe, where, 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 you, where you don't have to be afraid, where it's truly embraced. That's the kind of father that, that, your, that your Abba God wants you to recognize you have. Takeaway number five. Suffering and pain are not glorious in and of themselves. They're the result of sin. Suffering and pain were never God's intention for humanity. But when a confident child of God suffers well, well, that's a glorious sight to behold. It's a sight very similar to the suffering of Jesus on the cross in our place and for our sin. Paul says, I want to identify with the suffering of Jesus in Romans or in Philippians. I, I want to, I want to, as, 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 as much as I have to suffer, I, I want it to be uh, as, a, as a, an identifier with my own Lord who suffered for me. We have that opportunity when we go through physical, spiritual, emotional, circumstantial sufferings. We have the opportunity to suffer well as a confident child of God who knows that everything they need, even to walk through that suffering, is available to them by faith in real time. And when Christians suffer well, what a glorious thing that is to see. I think about our brother who's suffering right now in the uh, right now Saturday for me in the VA hospital, who served our Lord as one of the most humble men I've ever known. In this short little time I've been here, 12 years, I don't think I've ever known anyone quite as as meek and humble as Jim Carson, and he has suffered well. Can I just tell you, it's been a glorious thing to see. Not that he suffers, it's glorious. No, I want him to recover and come home strong and to be able to do the things that he wants to be able to do. But when I can see my brother in Christ keeping his focus on his Lord through the suffering, I back up and say, that's an example for me. And I'm encouraged by that. And I think that's what Paul was trying to say. Suffering and pain, that's that's not a good thing. But suffering for the cause of Christ is for your glory. So I'll endure this. It's not your fault. It's all part of the process. A process that I want you to be encouraged by so that when you face your own suffering, you'll be able to rely on the benefits and the blessings that you have in Christ. And so those things will come out in your life to communicate this mystery to everybody watching as we press on together as ambassadors of the gospel. That's God's word for us today. Christian, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I want you to be encouraged. Don't lose heart. God's still in control. You won't ever go through anything that he was not already aware of and, and, and has a plan through which to use that for His glory in your life. So don't lose heart. Keep your focus on Him. Keep your heart turned toward Him. Fight sin with everything in you. And and ask Him to make you more and more passionate 
about this glorious gospel that we have to share with those who've never heard. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Can I tell you something? God loves you just like you are. Because there's nothing you can do about yourself. You can't fix yourself up. You can't change yourself. He takes you just like you are as a broken, dead, hopeless, helpless sinner. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God will bring you to new life if you'll simply surrender to Christ crucified in your place and for your sin. As your Savior, as your Lord, if you'd be willing to confess Him, to follow Him, to lay your yes down with Him, to push all your chips across to Him, to confess Jesus as God and Savior. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Scripture says, will be saved. I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. I'd love to be able to pray with you, encourage you, help you see more of the way that has been made available by the free gift of Jesus. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to be not only the recipients of the knowledge of the mystery, that is the gospel available to any who will confess Jesus. But God, that we are actually ambassadors of that message. And Father, I pray that you will give us a renewed passion for that to be what motivates everything we do and say so that our lives might be turned toward you. And when we face suffering, whether because of the gospel or because of circumstances around us, may we not lose heart. May we be confident in your presence, confident in your acceptance of us, confidence of our place in your family. And may we learn to suffer well when it's time. God, may we be confident not knowing everything that we wish we knew and leaving some of these mysterious things just to you until you're ready to reveal them. Father, we look forward to what's in store. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. We look to the day that we can be back together physically. But until then, we thank you for the opportunities that we have through technology. We pray for those that are sick, those that are hurting, those who are in need, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We pray for that one who is wondering and considering about trusting Jesus fully and completely. I pray you would draw their heart that they might become part of your family, my brother, my sister, with a place just like mine for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, His mercy is Sins they are many, His mercy.